Welcome to Create New Futures, a show about thought-provoking ideas and practices you can use to create and shape your future in life and in business. Join Aviv Shahar, author and innovation strategy consultant, as he shares his proven strategies that have helped clients create breakthrough results. Aviv has guided executives at Fortune 100 companies, and now he wants to help you. Your future can update your past. That's a mind-bending idea. How can tomorrow redefine yesterday? This is Aviv with Create New Futures, and this is a special Turning the Table episode, a conversation with Paul Adams. Paul is the president and founder of Sound Financial Group. In addition to his specialized financial coaching and leading his company, Paul is an accomplished speaker and the author of Stop Burning Your Money and Sound Financial Advice. After reading Create New Futures, Paul asked that we explore for his podcast, Sound Financial Bites, specific questions triggered by the book. What do we explore? Instead of thinking of today as the product of yesterday, think of today as the beginning of tomorrow. This mental model proposes, for example, that what appears to be a setback can indeed become the setup for new beginnings, beginnings that will lead you to your next breakthrough. Paul is a student of life and of what works, and he is therefore a great coach. In this rich conversation, Paul insisted and made sure we bring to life the pragmatic applications of the point that we explore. I enjoyed our dialogue very much, and I trust you will too. Here is Paul Adams. I'm Paul Adams, and I am so excited to have you listening today. Now, you could be doing a lot of things right now. You may be doing dishes. You might be driving your car. Or as we know and we hear from many of you, you're at the gym right now working out. And for those of you that are regular listeners, I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation today where we're having back to the podcast, Aviv Shahar. Now, for those of you that have had a chance to hear from Aviv before, he was on episode number 46 titled Conversation is the Currency of Leadership. And in that podcast, Aviv started to share with us how important it is for all of us to take time enough every day at the beginning of the day, these are things I took away that were tremendously impactful, the time at the beginning of every day to think about what conversations you're going to be in throughout the day, not like the tasks of the meeting on your calendar, but rather what are the conversations you're going to be in during the day. And some of the biggest takeaways that we heard back from people were things like an unbrief, undebriefed action is a wasted action. The conversation is the currency of leadership. And then to take a future state that we want to be in, envision that future, and then journey backward to today to give us real applicable ways to build that future that we're after. So as formerly part of the Israeli military and a fighter pilot and training fighter pilots, which will give you some of the reasons why he's so clear and concise both with his language and execution inside large companies, which are his primary client. Fortune 100 companies are who typically hire Aviv to help their executives be more transformational leaders and to change that 
culture inside those large organizations, some of which we're going to talk about today. And most of what we're going to cover are the things that I've now been able to pull out. We had him on before his book released, Create New Futures. And now having read that book, I had a chance to pull some real specific things out that I've been wanting to talk with Aviv about and thought all of you would enjoy listening in. So, Aviv, thank you for being here today. Uh, glad to be here. How have things been going just since the book got released? Things are going great, Paul. It's an adventure every day. And the very things that um, we explore in Creative Futures are the kind of ideas that I continue to engage with senior executives around and help them transform their companies and, and their teams. And the other exciting thing that uh, is happening is that I have launched uh, my own podcast show, which is with the same name, Create New Futures. So uh, what do you know? You brought me into the podcast world and I'm following in your footsteps. Well, and, and I had a chance for you guys get a moment and we'll link to it in our show notes a really great one was, uh, and man, Aviv, I'm sorry I don't have it off the top of my head. You specifically pointed me to it, the 90-10 rule? That's right, the 90-10 rule. And if you listen to that 12 minutes podcast, it will transform the way you look at every learning incident in your day-to-day -day work. Yeah, Aviv and I finished what was an impactful conversation to me, and he said, now... Now that you've had that and that produced some insights for you so that you can lock in those insights, listen to this. So as soon as this podcast is over, I would encourage you to go into the show notes, click on that, click over to Aviv's podcast and listen to the 12 minutes from him, because not only is it going to help you in other future learning engagements or educational opportunities, but it's going to help you lock in exactly what we're going to cover today. So it's a great point. And I'm super excited about your podcast. Uh, if I can, let me go straight to the book. In the book, you mentioned, we can enable your present and future to update your past. So, and this was in a powerful section of the book, but the language is what stood out to me and I'd highlighted specifically. We can enable your present and future to update your past. Could you first share what you, what that means? or what it should mean to our listeners, and then how can somebody listening to this podcast really benefit from the shift that that question could cause for them? Sure, absolutely. Paul, I, I do believe the exact quote is, you can enable your present and future to update your past. Each one of us, that is. And, and this is a truly very important question because what we are saying here is, is radical and deliberate. And it, it's one of those transformative ideas that are hidden in Create New Futures, a bit like the radium was hiding in the pitch blend until Mary Curie intuited it was there and then discovered it. So, so what do I mean when I say that your present and your future can truly update your past? I'm saying something transformative here because, well, essentially, I want you to reclaim your power, your power to choose, your power to be self-directed, your power to defy the deterministic mindset that says 
that what happened to you yesterday defines what you are today. The mental model that we are proposing here turns this on its head. Instead of thinking that your yesterday defines your today, I'm proposing you can embrace the reverse idea, which is your today can define your yesterday, redefine your yesterday. So here is an example. When I was four, my parents separated. Divorce at the time, back then in Israel, was a very rare occurrence. And so it clearly put me at a disadvantage socially in a number of ways. But a couple of years later, and for sure by the time I think I was seven, definitely when I was eight, I decided that it was actually an advantage. So, so Paul, what I did was I created a story of meaning that for me pointed to all the benefits that became available for me because I could now experience two very different worlds. My father was a central figure in the kibbutz where I was born and raised, and my mother was a central figure in, became a central figure in the classical music world in Tel Aviv, in Israel. And I practically had access to two completely, completely different universes. And this is something I have thought about a lot. And, and when I studied biographies of people, and let me just give you one, for me, fascinating example. When you study the story of the late Pope John Paul II, okay, he was the first Pope to embrace the modern TV uh, medium. But not many people know that in during his youth, during the Second World War, he was actually part of a small group of people that led an underground theater. And, and the story goes that he was discovered as a very talented actor with great stage presence. And people around him talked about him being destined for great acting career. So his circle of friends were surprised when he gave it all up and enrolled in the seminary, only to discover many, many years later, decades later, that when he walked to that, you know, that famous walk, when he walked to the balcony first time to be seen as the Pope, it is, it is said that the role of his life actually descended on him, and he will go to then become the first pope that will use this modern um, medium of television and will speak throughout the 80s and really through to the end of his life through the, the television screen to people all around the world and will make extraordinary impact on the run the run-up to the end of the uh, Cold War, and all that. So when you look at his life story, to me, his, his later life and the, the bigger role that, that he had, his really significant role, provided and, and redefined the significance of his early stage practice with moving crowds, with words, and through his presence. And, and so 
Now I'm coming to you, Paul, because you shared with me something on point, which is that you have had a difficult experience managing other people's money through the 07, 08, 09 crisis. And I think, you know, when people go through a period of crisis, there is a question, so do you let the crisis define your future, or do you make new choices in your future that redefine that experience? I believe, based on what you shared with me, that what you have done was you decided to make some new decisions, rewire your practice, in essence, rewire your relationships with managing money, managing other people's money, and you have therefore redefined your experience with that incident. So uh, to land in the most pragmatic example, what I'm saying is that if yesterday defines today, then you'd say that a simple, small misunderstanding will naturally lead to a bigger and uh, more painful misunderstanding. But if, however, we choose to empower ourselves with a reverse mental model, which is that today and tomorrow has the power to redefine yesterday, then you can, cho- you can choose to turn a misunderstanding into a discovery and, and learning moment that really opens the door to new and deeper levels of appreciation of understanding, and of trust. So if, if I may, and, and to use a real, what I think might be, I hope not oversimplification of, of this as an idea of letting our present and future define our past instead of the other way around. I think about somebody just picking somebody who has a significant career failure of some kind, and that what happens to them is they in the moment, they're very upset because of the, they were let go from as a layoff, as a, they were head, I think one guy in particular that was in the telecom industry and he was let go from that role because they just basically let go the entire division that did what he did. He's making over $400,000 a year. And there are some people that kind of feel like their wings are clipped for the rest of their life and they never get back to it. And yet what this person took that opportunity to do was to build a consulting business and he created an entirely different way of thinking about how he would derive his income by teaching other corporate executives how to not be in the position he was going to be in, that he was in at one point, and that that past got recast as his opportunity to go through a significant amount of pain so he could save a lot of other corporate folks from having to do that because instead they go into the kind of consulting he was going into and save themselves from it. Would that be? That, that's right. Okay. That's a very good story. That's exactly the point. If, if you want to, to unlock the, the core idea here, what it also implies is that instead of seeing today, this day, right now, whoever is listening to our conversation, the the meme, the idea that frames so much for people the way they think about their life is that they think about today as the the product of yesterday. And what we are proposing here is that you can turn this paradigm 
and think of today as the beginning of tomorrow. That you are living into new possibilities. And that you ought to see, therefore, in this case, that a setback appears to be a setback. But unbeknown to you, if you do the work, you are likely, like in the example you just shared, you are likely to discover how that what appeared to be a setback is setting you in the direction of finding new possibilities, new greater horizons, ultimately transforming your life, transforming your business, transforming your relationship with the people around you. Well, and, and I have a, just a great example of Eve that I, I think is right up this vein with my children is how often they will try something and then they would say they, they feel like they cannot do it. I can't do that. I can't ride my bike. You know, I, I need my training wheels back, whatever it is. And to take the moment when they achieve it and point back to them. Do you remember when you couldn't do that and you thought you couldn't? And they say, yeah, well, here now you're doing it. Now, my, for our listeners, my kids are ages four, five, and six. So we have a lot of these opportunities. But what I've watched then is when they hit the next thing that's difficult, we're using that past incident of them thinking they couldn't do it, like taking them back to that present, thinking that they couldn't do it, and then referencing another past where they did do it, to then have them live in the, as they're frustrated in the current thing, reading, writing, whatever it is, to put them in the future of when they are going to be able to do it. And this is a necessary step toward being able to do it. Beautiful story. What you are doing in, in actuality, apart from practicing with them debrief and the art of reflection, you are consciously lodging with them a, a, a dual memory. You are lodging with them the memory of the, the, the incident of success in context of longitudinal memory that has a reflective measure of how they felt and thought about that activity earlier on. And you are producing in them, therefore, at a very early age when they're very impressionable, a, an important, can-do, self-empowering mental model. Well done. This is what I call enlightened parenting. <laughs> very nice work. But, and, and I even think about it from, like, for myself, just thinking about, I remember this and when, whatever it is in my life, when doing this thing was hard. And now, I now experience that thing is easy. And there's other things I'm working on right now that are hard. And yet those are going to get easy or get practiced or we'll build a system around them. And what I've noticed is that that future I'm creating in the way that I'm thinking about it is giving me a very different current experience by just having a narrative about how I think it's going to go in the future. Right. So I, the, now, if you want, there is another layer of appreciation to, to this frame of mind. Let's do it. I, I, am, I am totally fine with us rabbit holing when it's somebody as expert as you, or rabbit trailing, I should say. Okay, so, so let me give you another personal example. After I graduated in the fighter pilot course, I then went to the operational training unit. 
And I had there a flight instructor, a very good pilot, who continued to drill into us some very important messages. And one of the key messages that he drilled into us was that you have no business taking unnecessary risk. You do not need to fly outside of the practice envelope in training. So therefore, you're not supposed to go below 300 feet, for example. A year later, I was a young pilot and in a different unit, a different uh, squadron. And one morning, I was scheduled to fly as part of the formation that represented our squadron in the, the bigger war game practice that the Air Force was conducting. Just an hour before I needed to fly, we got word that there was an accident and that the lead of the formation of another squadron crashed. Mm. And quickly, the word came down that, in fact, it was this chief instructor that I admired. Wow. So um, there were few details at that moment in time, but it, it uh, immediately looked like it was quite certain that this was a pilot error. And I remember, because it was the first time I've experienced it in such a physical, visceral way, I was physically shaken. It seemed unreal. It seemed actually Paul impossible. Why would an experienced pilot make such a judgment error? And that morning, I did not want to fly. That day, I did not want to go and fly. But you're young, and there is a sense of bravado and confidence, and the show must go on. So I suppressed my feeling and did what was expected uh, of me. And because it was too painful at the time to reflect as a young man, I just moved on. But 12 years later, when I started to do the work I now do with leaders over the last uh, 20 years, really, and one of the elements of my work earlier on was indeed helping people discover the formative experiences that shaped the leadership philosophy and how they approach leadership, how they approach their relationship with money, how they approach relationship at large. And, and what I did was I took people through a retrospective trace. But to be authentic and true, I took myself through a retrospective journey. And one of the things that I did was I've decided to capture particular experiences that I did not process very much earlier in my life and that I, at that point in time, decided I have the power to now re rewrite. And as I say in the quote you just offered, bring new meaning to redefine the past from my today a frame of mind, from a today uh, awareness and, and content. And I decided that instead of carrying forward the, the bravado that suppressed that experience, that I will indeed attach a new moral to that experience. And that I will therefore, when I can, share the story. So I'm now just sharing with you this story. And that when I share the story, I will offer the following moral, which is that I try as hard as I can, and I'm not always successful. I, I do fall on my face, and then I try to pick myself up. But that I try hard, if I can, to walk my talk and to practice what I preach. Because what this chief instructor 
taught me through this catastrophic event that when you, for one reason or another, refuse or fail to walk your talk, you can lose, every day you can lose credibility, you can lose your reputation, but in the extreme situation, you can lose everything. Okay, in this case, you've had an excellent pilot who for once did not practice what he preached, and it cost him his life. And and a whole ring of fantastic and amazing family and people around him that that lost him for the rest of time. So this is an example where I chose to, instead of carrying forward, forward a suppressed pain, I've chosen to honor him by attaching a teachable meaning to me sharing this story and therefore redefined that experience in my past. That's so good. And 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 where you see that on the on the in the large you know on the world stage large scale is quite a profound example obviously is in the experience of South Africa where the Truth and Reconciliation Commission attempted to redefine an entire past for a whole nation to free people up to free the nation up to live into a new future. That's, that's, I think that, and I love those big examples where they create a new future in Africa, but, but the real, I, the very close, I think people can relate to is what you went through with your instructor and how it changed both the way you think about it and now how it's changed how you even think about, like it, it affected you in walking your talk, but later by going back and distinguishing it, it actually allowed you to have it change your continuing future in a positive way. Right. It, for example, creates a context and a meaning to the idea of integrity in a whole different uh, context and way, because Mostly people treat the idea of integrity, the, the concept of integrity, in terms of are you true to your word? Did you, you made a promise? Did you follow up on your promise? Did you deliver? And that's a very important meaning of the word. But in this case, what I'm proposing is that when you introduce a practice to your life, when you introduce a set of values that guide the way you work, the way you engage with other people, then when you break that integrity, not only can, in some cases, it will just cost you your reputation and your personal brand, in some scenarios, it may involve something that has even a a bigger, more painful price. Yeah. Okay, and when I tell that story, that's what I'm being reminded of. So when I tell you and when I shared with, shared with you the story right now, I'm sharing with, with the story with myself again to reinvigorate, to reaffirm the importance of integrity, the importance of, of trying hard to walk your talk, to remember, to practice um, what you preach, and so on. That's great. That's great. And now... And I'm going to switch tracks here a little bit to a little later in the book. And you 
said uh, something to the effect of a complaint is misdirected energy of an unaddressed or unmet need. And to me, that created a whole new framing for when somebody has a complaint. It's, I think it's, it's very easy for people to disregard the complaints of others. And especially, I think, in our audience, because we've got a bunch of business owners, executives, and, and people complain sometimes, and the complaint isn't the problem. There's a different problem there. And just the clear communication of, it's an unmet need. So what I jotted down was, can you talk about what this framing has done to help leaders choose how they're relating to their team members or to their customers differently than however they were reacting to complaints prior? Right. And your framing, Paul, is important because, you know, at the broader societal context we we're living now in a time where everybody complains almost about everything so i i appreciate that you are offering a slightly narrower context in terms of how do executives and leaders deal with their teams and with their customers so first let, let's um state the obvious which is that for most of us the natural reaction to a complaint is that we become defensive. And and why do we become defensive? Because we internalize and personalize the complaint. Instead, what I propose we do is that we seek to understand and help the other person become part of the solution by converting the complaint into a concrete Request. Request that will help us indeed address the unmet need. And, and what I'm also addressing clearly when I talk about this in the book is that for many of us, we were raised in a societal and cultural context where we were not trained into the art of expressing needs and, and formulating requests. And when that energy gets suppressed, it later appears, as, I, as, as you just quoted, as a displaced behavior that expresses complaint and sometimes a very hard complaint. So here is an example of how I use this in my workshops with executive teams, because there is a point when we work to articulate the desired future state. And often when we do that, you'll have a number of voices that will insist on explaining why the change that we are describing cannot work. And also, together with that, why they feel reticent, sometimes cynical, and why essentially they resist that future state. And when I hear this voice, and I'm now so well attuned to hearing the language formulation. And I can see the body language and how other people react because these are people that interact with each other every day, so they know what's going to come next. What I then do is, because let me even uh, be a little more clear, what they do typically is they use the current problems and challenges to explain why 
a new future we are hoping to create and are exploring why it cannot work. And so in this case, what I do is I ask them to reframe their language. And instead of using complaints to justify their position and explain why a certain new future that we are exploring cannot work, I ask them to frame their concerns and then to formulate specific and concrete requests that will, in their mind, free them up from that concern. And the, the mental model that guides this practice is that underlying the complaint, there is an information that we need. We do not want to shut that information down. We, unless we hear, unless we share that data, we will never uh, have had a chance to go through the process of the, the underlying need being made explicit. And therefore, we are in what I call a displaced conversation. So we are talking about one thing that's covered up or, or masquerading another thing. But if we are able to unearth the need and to frame the request, we are actually helping people become part of the solution that creates a new future because they are now already described back to you how will that new future that you imagine, that they now begin to imagine with you, can become a reality? And what, therefore, here is the piece you like so much, Paul, what must be true for that future to become actual? And I need to say that back to you, because I want to make sure for our listeners that that, that landed in a way that is going to work for them when they get off this podcast, walk into their office, is that when somebody comes with a complaint, you can help them re-articulate a request that they have for you. Did I, did I get that? Or I feel like maybe there was a step before them re-articulating it as a request. So instead of, it's, I'm going to go very simple, uh, it's hot in here is the complaint, but the request would be, is it hot for you? Or I guess a request that would be a question or the other request could be, could we turn down the thermostat by four degrees? That's right. That's right. Now, in the context that I propose and, and that I just shared with you, there will be even the, the additional added information. We are working here to produce a certain critical decision and strategy, and when it gets a little too hot, people get uh, tired and foggy. Is everybody all right with us uh, putting the, the thermostat four degrees cooler so that we are energized and able to produce the kind of uh, coherent and high-energy conversations that we need to create? So they first say, it's hot in here. And so you might say in return to them, well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Though is there a, a request inside of that? And then they say, yes, could we turn down the thermostat? And then you recontextualize it in a bigger frame with the, in this case, it might be 10 people in a room that has to do with the bigger concern of staying alert, not getting drowsy, uh, 
etc. Am I close there? You are close. Just the, the, obviously, the example you, you took is a little simplistic. So most yeah. times, but, but let's work with this, uh, with this example. For our purpose, most times, people will not say it's too hot here. Because for one reason or another, that piece is suppressed. They will say, I, I don't like what's happening here. <laughs> and you need to, to, to bring to the foreground to surface what about this situation needs to be changed. In this case, it's the temperature. Maybe it's the design of the room. Maybe it's the design of the process. It could be anything else. So people often give you a general statement of something that they don't like, which only reveals partially the issue, the concern, or the unmet need. And you need to help them frame the specificity of it's too hot here, and that's not the problem. The problem is that it doesn't allow us to actually function at the the level and the capacity that we need to function at. And and so one one way I've thought about it, Aviv, and I what this is such an enhancement to the way that I've reflected on, thought about it in the past and and tried to help people accelerate their learning or their current way of thinking, whether that's with a client or even with our own staff, is somebody comes with a problem. I've got a problem. Is I've always thought about it like double clutching an old pickup truck where you have to get it neutral first before you can and then cycle the clutch once and then be able to put it back in gear. Is that I've, I've always tried to ask people, say, well, could you give me an, any thought you have about how we could solve that problem? And so it, cause I've noticed that if I try to solve somebody's problem while they're still in the expression of the problem, almost inevitably they're going to come up with another problem because they're still in problem expression mode or complaining mode. But the moment that they can shift and start giving a solution, they're now open to solutions because they've shift that, shifted that gear. What I, and you can tell I'm struggling with this a little bit, though what I'm hearing is that if I can get them to just better express, like, I don't like what's going on here, or they may not say it, they, it might be an attitude around the office, if we're talking much bigger dynamics, or not wanting to talk to another team member, by asking in and meeting the unmet need that they get a chance to fully express what's wrong for them, we can now circle around to solutions that they're a part of. Am I, am I getting close? You are getting close. And, and by the way, I do understand double clutching because uh, I was, as I said, uh, born and raised in a kibbutz. We used to drive the large tractor. So I, I, yes. I, do, <laughs> I do know what double clutching is. Uh, and um, where the double clutching practice is relevant and how it is part of this practice is you are talking about helping people disassociate and get a little more detached from the problem. So you are right that often, first of all, a problem and a complaint is a state of mind and largely can become a state of existence unless people are able to separate themselves. Mm. from being too uh, emotionally and psychologically attached. 
obviously we we are talking in the context of work with executives this is not um a discussion of how you address these issues more in a therapeutic uh, therapy type approach where you use these and, and other strategies but if you need to help people create a more neutral um, detached space you can use that and and you can also try to encourage them to talk about that person in in the third per- person and describe that not as themselves because part of what you are trying to do is get them to gain a different perspective right. and get them to gain some distance from how invested they are in being right in explaining that problem and for me just Talk about mindset change that if I think of somebody complaining is not them being a jerk, is not them trying to disrupt things, all that, but it, well, I notice that the thinking that they have an unmet need instantly gave me empathy for anybody that's complaining. Right. And, and which is important. And, and right there t- together with it, with this sense of empathy, because we, we could talk for another hour about the different uh, levels of empathy, uh, but specifically, you're after the information. You are looking to get some new data. What is the what is the problem? What is the unmet need? So you can actually take practical steps to address it. This is, I mean, we are in business to meet customer needs and to therefore deliver value and use that to bring even a greater contribution to, to your community and to the people that you serve. So in that sense, this is critical. Oh, that's, that's great. And I, and I actually had more questions that I wanted to go into with you, but I think in my, we're, we've gone about 40 minutes now and in the commitment of my new uh, podcast format, in fact, what I'm going to do here, Aviv, I'm going to hang on. I'm just doing a time check. What I want to do is wrap it on those two major questions and rab- and little rabbit trails that we took because this is going to put us at about 40 minutes. Sure. But I didn't want to surprise you with that. So we've got two more questions we didn't hit. And That's okay. We have us pick it up again to, uh, to go deeper into these last two questions. Cause I think the idea of the whole debrief and what that means to accelerate performance and how people are loose on their conversations like you and I talked about the other day. Sure. It, both are a big deal, and I don't want to shortchange them by just fitting them in. Yeah, so, so you can plan to do a, a third episode another time uh, we can, where we can address these, these other two questions and, uh, and any other question you want. So let, I'm going to take a second here, and I'm going to do another timestamp for myself where I'm going to close the episode out. And anything, uh, what I'm going to do is point people to avivconsulting.com, be able to point them back to episode 46, and point them to your book, Create New Futures That They Can Find on Amazon. Is there anything else that you want? You wanted to to point them to uh, episode, the the 90-10 rule. Yep. And broadly to... My podcast show, which is on my site too. Yep. Got it. Got it. 
I mean, I'm actually just opening that up on the tab here, so I'll just click through my tabs as we as I cover them. Good. So this is great. So uh, podcast website, our prior podcast, and the 9010 episode, which is. Do you remember what episode number that is? Uh, it'll take me a second to find out. By the way, I don't know if you want to do it, but but you could actually spend another 20 minutes now and do the other episode and use that just at a later time. That's up to you. Uh, let me look. I think I might be able to. Let me just, uh, I have to get home to do Taekwondo with the kids. Yeah, well, that's, that's a priority. The 90-10 rule is episode three, and you can actually have the, I'll send you the link of that episode. Perfect. Okay. All right, let me then let's do another time. Perfect. So, yeah, well, as soon as I close this out, then I'll close the recording, and then we'll break out our calendars and get that done. Give me just a moment. I'm just going to do another timestamp. I'm going to pick up here in 25 seconds and close it out. That was 25 seconds takes a long time just sitting in silence. Ten or more to go. <laughs> why do you need Why do you need the silence? Oh, I don't need silence. I just uh, wanted to start at 48 to close out the episode. Okay, here I go. The episode three is in your uh, inbox. Okay, perfect. Okay, so I'll do 48, 10 seconds in. Aviv, that's perfect. I mean, I had. A lot more questions to ask you, but we had a chance to go so deep and so practical on these two major questions that I hope everybody was able to take away from our conversation that, one, you can change the way complaints occur to you and occur to others, and you can change your current experience, not only of your current experience, you can change your current experience. Ah! Sorry, now I got to do a retake. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it, it's important for me to actually put one more one more line about everything we discussed. Okay, very good. Do you want me to just leave you space for it? Like anything else, bef- Aviv? Anything else you want to make sure you communicate as we're closing out? Do you want me to like I can yeah. start to wrap it up and then hand it back to you one more time and then yeah. thank you? Yeah, absolutely. Bye. So, hang on, I got to type my timestamp here. Here we go into Aviv. That is incredible. We've now gotten a chance to deep dive on two key concepts from create new futures, both that our present and future can recontextualize our past for us. And more importantly, I think those that we interact with. And then this idea of being able to understand a complaint as an unmet need of others in a way that we can better enable them to help us address the concern and enable them to help themselves in addressing the concern by being able to unpack it a little bit while having empathy for them for what they're going through as they complain. Now, we've got to have you back on because we had two major points from the book that we got a chance to get into, but I've got more that I want to unpack with you. But before before we go, is there anything that you're... Thinking about Aviv, you want to make sure that our audience is aware of their put a put a bow on what we talked about today. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Paul, first uh, for, for these questions and, and the opportunity to explore this with you. But what I'd say is that everything we are we discussed here indeed is to do with helping people create new futures. Okay, the core belief is people are not broken, and we are not here to fix them because they're not broken. But what we are here to do is in business and in relationships to facilitate and help people create for themselves in their personal lives, in in their business uh, adventures, new futures. That's the core theme of both, obviously, the book, but also of what we discussed, because the point of reframing a complaint in terms of a request is all about unleashing the creative process and the innovative process that then becomes accessible and available because a certain energy that was locked is now released into the process of new transformation, ultimately enabling us with the people we work to create new futures. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.